0: There is only one more Sunday after today before Christmas is here, which is amazing. I love Christmas. I love decorating for Christmas. I love listening to Christmas songs. It is a wonderful, wonderful season. I truly hope that you're able to enjoy it as well. We celebrate the coming of Jesus Today's the third Sunday of Advent, we're working through Matthew 24. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew 24, verses 29 through 35, so go ahead and turn there. As you know, if you've been here the last two weeks or listened online, this chapter addresses things that happen at different times. Some of the things Jesus says have to do with what took place in AD 70, just 35 years after Jesus spoke these words, it was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Other things haven't happened yet. They refer to the end times when Jesus will come again in all of His glory. I think that is what today's text focuses on, is the end. Now, you may hear me say, I think, and some of you might think, no, it's it's definitely about that. And you're probably right. I think you're right. I agree with you if you think that. That's why I'm approaching it that way. That's why I'm preaching it that way. But it's also good for us to know there are many, many others who disagree, who see this text as A.D. 70, as being fulfilled in A.D. 70. And you may think, well, how is that possible? It talks about the sun being darkened and the moon not giving its light. And the reason for that is we have texts like Isaiah 13, 9 and 10. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. That text is about the fall of Babylon. Ezekiel 32, 7 and 8, When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. And all the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you, and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. That text isn't speaking of the end times. It's God's judgment on Egypt. Joel 2, 28 through 32, which is a familiar passage And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I'll show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now, what is it speaking of there? Mainly, it's speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which took place in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And we could say, and maybe rightly, that God is saying through Joel... Something about two different times, as he is in chapter 24 of Matthew. And that's possible. But right after saying about the sun and moon, he says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter quotes that and says that it's Acts chapter 2 that it's referring to. Now, all of that to say, there are just some things we don't understand. And at times, we can tend to read all of the scriptures through a Western American lens. And so, we are going to approach Matthew 24, verses 39, or 29, specifically through 31, but all the way through 35, as being about the end times joyfully, but with a humble spirit that says we don't know exactly how it's going to all take place, but come, Lord Jesus. So, if you're able, please stand and follow along as I read Matthew 24, beginning with verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and we thank You. We thank You that we We serve a God who knows everything. From beginning to end, you know it all. We can trust you, Lord. Even with the things we don't fully understand, we can completely trust you because we know that you hold it all in your hands. We love you and we ask for your help in this time, Lord. We want to glorify you. With our hearts. And so bless, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I want to repeat what I said before reading the text. We're going to approach this joyfully. Our theme for Advent this morning is joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let Earth receive her king. Her king. One thing we're going to see from the text today is that the coming of Jesus is the coming of joy. This text and the thought of Jesus returning should bring joy to all of us who are in Christ. If we are in Christ and we truly understand the nature of God and the gospel of Jesus, we have no reason to not rejoice at the thought of His coming. One reason that we rejoice, that we see in the text today, is that His coming is, will be obvious. I've mentioned that a few times in the last weeks. We might not understand everything about it. We might not know the timeline correctly, but we can know this, he's not going to hide it. And it will be joy for those who know him. Just look at the things he mentions here in the text, beginning with verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I read that, and I think, my goodness, what in the world is that going to be like? Is this a literal thing? Is it like Old Testament speaks in a way describing horrible things? Possibly. Possibly. Luke writes this in Luke 21, 25 and 26, verses 25 and 26. And there will be signs in heaven and moon and stars and on the earth the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. It is going to be crazy. Signs and sun, moon and stars, roaring of the seas and waves. It's apocalyptic language. In, in Luke's gospel, it says people will be perplexed and fearful. They will know that things are happening, but they won't understand what is about to happen next. But they'll be afraid, in fact, Luke records that Jesus says people will faint with fear and foreboding of what is coming. Matthew writes Jesus' words, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I'm not certain what that means, but pretty certain it will be terrifying. Some people believe it's just a restatement of what he has said about the stars and the moon. Some People think it's some other cataclysmic event. Can we just pause here for a second? Just thinking of this one verse in particular. This is real. It might be imagery in some ways, but it's real. The powers of the heavens shaken. It's judgment language But it's real. Jesus is telling them about something that is going to happen. There's a day coming when this will be true. And we must be ready for that day. We must be ready. Verse 30 continues. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of God of man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory Now what is the sign of the son of man I I don't think we know fully or really some believe it will be Jesus himself some believe it will be a sign literal sign pointing to the Son of Man. Some think it's the resurrection of the saints. That doesn't seem likely to me since He addresses that very thing next. Whatever it is, it's going to cause people on earth to mourn. Again, it's not hidden. All the tribes of the earth, it says, will mourn. Those who don't love Jesus, those who don't love His coming will mourn. And whatever it is, what follows that morning will be magnificent for those who love the Lord. And I want to pause here again. That doesn't mean that I'm saying that if that happened today, I would be fearless. I have no idea. I might be terrified. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I know what John did when he saw that. I know what Isaiah did when he saw that. It it wasn't cool. He fell on his face as a dead man, Revelation says of John. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Think about that for a moment. They will see Him. Who? Everyone. But specifically those who are mourning at His coming. Those who don't love Him. Those who don't know Him. Those who don't want Him. And certainly don't want Him coming back. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. More terrifying than any earthly calamity will be this event which all are headed toward. The Son of Man. Remember what Jesus means when He refers to Himself as the Son of Man. It's an expression that comes from Daniel 7. So I'm going to read that This is the one they will see. Jesus in all of his glory and power coming on the clouds. I mentioned if this happened, I might be afraid, certainly in awe. But I know exactly what Jesus says I should be. Because in Luke's gospel, in chapter 21, verse 28, it says, Now when these things begin to take place straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Joy. That's what we should be ready to express. Not all of those who see will be terrified. He says to those who trust in Him concerning the things that point to His coming, the things that Make the world faint in fear. When you see them, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That is what we wait for. Why should we rejoice? Why raise our heads? Verse 31. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is about those who are in Christ. This is about the church. Now I want to say again, as I said two weeks ago, this this very much affects my understanding of the end times of when Jesus is coming back. I read this and it tells me that He is going to come and everyone is going to see Him. Some will mourn and be terrified. Some will be redeemed, rescued, gathered to be with Him forever. So it very much affects how I interpret end times texts. Some don't see it that way. And we will, if we are in Christ, worship together at His feet and won't care one About who was right and who was wrong. My desire is that we just, that we would be joyful about what this describes. He is going to gather his church, he's going to send his angels to gather his people from. Every tribe, every corner of the earth, he is sending his angels to gather his children from Afghanistan, from Aceh, from Sudan, from Los Angeles, from Haiti, from North Korea, from Delaware, Ohio, from Western Ohio, from Hong Kong, from every single corner of this earth. He's gathering people who love him. And we will be with Him. We will be in awe of His great glory. It is a call for joy. And it's also a call to evaluate. Jesus in this chapter has been preparing His disciples. He warns and prepares those He loves concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. That was the whole beginning of why these questions were asked. Jesus says not one stone is going to be left on another as they're boasting about the beauty of the temple. And so they ask him, When are these things going to happen? And he's preparing them. He tells them what the signs will be and what they should do when they see the signs happening. And we know from Josephus and Eusebius that many who trusted in Christ listened to Jesus' words, they fled. The mountains. But so many didn't listen. Josephus records that approximately 97,000 were taken prisoner and 1.1 million were killed in the siege. Now, even if Josephus's numbers are exaggerated, the numbers would be staggering of people who didn't believe and listen. Jesus had told them what to do, and they didn't listen to Him. They let their flesh guide them and went into the city for refuge instead of letting Christ and His Word guide them, letting Him be their refuge. That's why these next verses are so important. Verse 32 through 35, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus says, listen. The appearing of leaves on a tree means something. A new season is coming. Summer is coming. That made you excited to say that, for me to say that, right? You're already excited. Summer is coming. Winter is over or nearly over. That's the picture Jesus is giving here with the leaves. Likewise, when you see the signs appearing that Jesus has referenced, be ready, be prepared. A new season is coming. In fact, a new kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is coming. You know, he says, that God's kingdom is near. Have confidence of that. You know that He is near. When you see these things happening, you know that He's near at the very Gates, he's coming. Now, look at verse 34. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, if you earlier, when I talked to you about some people not thinking this is about the end times, said there's no way, it doesn't even make sense. Well, this makes sense of it, right? I mean, Jesus says, all of these things are going to take place before this generation passes. So, what in the world does that mean? It's difficult. Several interpretations to what Jesus means here. Some, some believe literally that Jesus was simply wrong. How could this be? That He thought the kingdom would come sooner than it did. So, we're, we'll dismiss that immediately, because if Jesus was wrong or lying about anything He said, then He wasn't God. If He wasn't God, then His sacrifice means nothing. Some believe that this was a prediction with multiple fulfillments. Some believe since the phrase, generation of, can mean people with certain quality, It could mean this evil generation or this generation of disciples will not pass away. In other words, the church will continue until this happens. Some believe that generation means race, referring to Jewish people as a whole. Some people believe Jesus is referring to the destruction of Jerusalem here in A.D. 70 when He says these things. Some believe He's referring to the specific generation which will be alive When he returns, although I still hold that there is a sovereign mystery here, Jesus knowing fully what he means and me not knowing fully what he means, it's a sovereign mystery and it's meant to be. It does seem compelling that he's referencing those events leading up to A.D. 70. He's gone back and forth throughout, and that would still be answering the disciples' first question by doing that. Their question in verse 3 came following Jesus, saying that the temple would be destroyed. And so it's likely, I think, that he's going back to referring to A.D. 70 here. But... I don't think verse 34 is where we ought to camp. I think verse 35 is where we ought to be. Because immediately following that, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus is elevating his words and his authority above everything else. Everything else will pass away. Everything. Everything that you can think of will pass away. But my words will never pass away. You see what Jesus is saying here. Everything attached to this broken and sinful world will be destroyed. But one thing will remain. The words of the Lord. Sometimes we can get so consumed with the gray areas that we lose sight of what's most important, what we must stand on. Yes, he says that all these things are going to happen and they're going to be terrible, but. I'm the Lord of lords and I'm the King of kings and I have authority over everything and my word will stand. My word will never fail. My word will remain forever. That is a joy-filled thought. You may be someone who when, when end times are discussed or you read things about end times, texts about end times, articles about in times, it freaks you out. And it's confusing. You don't know what to think about it and which side to believe and which camp to be in. Be in verse 35, camp. All these things are going to take place. Whether you understand how or not, they're all going to take place. But my word will last forever you can trust in my word as we approach Christmas as we continue through Advent we have so much reason to rejoice there are trials there's tribulation even now you may be in the midst of a really difficult time there's broken heartedness sadness sadness There's joys. In the midst of all of it, we have a king. A king. A king who loves us. Who has written a story of redemption. And the end is not yet. But when it comes, it will only be joy for those who know and love him. And we will be with him forever with Him. Each and every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that and announcing that. We're proclaiming that Jesus' death was enough, that He did something, that He made all of these things true, that He was punished for our sins, that His body was broken for our sins, that His blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven and justified. That He was dead and put in a tomb, but that He was raised to life for our justification. We're proclaiming that He didn't stay dead, that He rose from the grave. We're proclaiming that we know He is coming back. That's why Paul says as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Dead people don't come. We proclaim that we believe He is alive and His word is true. And it will remain forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace to us, Lord. Your kindness, so good to us for giving us Your Word. Your Word remains. Our doubts, our fears, our concerns, all of those things are going to pass away. Your Word that is trustworthy, that never fails, will never, ever end, will never pass away. So, Father, help us even in this time to rejoice, to rejoice as we take the bread and to rejoice as we take the cup, remembering that you accomplished something significant, so significant that we can read a text like this today and all of the things that are ahead of us coming in the future, whether we're alive for them or not. Your death was significant to bring hope and joy. That your resurrection was powerful to bring justification and life. We praise you and we thank you, Jesus. We ask for your help as we remember together today. In Christ's name, Amen.